Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to Birdland Tonight. Hope you enjoyed today's Oriole game. As, uh, no game today, but we figured it's a off day. The Orioles have been exciting for 31 days, and yesterday was a pretty special day. So we'd kind of hop in here and do a little bonus episode for your Thursday evening. Joining me today is Cody from I Just Like the Duck. How you guys He's, doing? There you go. Use the mic. There's a podcast version, too, that can't see your hands wave around. <laughs> and Jimmy from Bleacher Birds. Cody just showed me up. I usually do my little finger salute. <laughs> All right. And then Andrew from Utah Street Report. I'm back for more, Josh. You, we, we had so much fun yesterday. I had to come back on today and, and talk some more about uh, what's going on in the world of Orioles baseball. Yeah. I, Andrew, it was very uh, – I was very happy that we ended up being on the, on the schedule for Birdland tonight for such a magical game that we got to kind of discuss the immediate reactions and how that feel, how that was. But I don't know about you guys, but I found that all day today, I was just thinking back about John Means and about that game yesterday. Um, Cody, how did you experience the game yesterday? Yeah, so I experienced it uh, on, on a bit of a delay. So, you know, the, the, game, the game kicked off during work. So I waited until I, I got home. I went to the gym and started the game. And then it was, uh, you know, paused it, you know, came home, had dinner, and then, you know, sitting on the couch with a wife, you know, trying to explain how special and unique this was that it, it doesn't really happen all that often. Uh, and then, of course, my phone is blowing up, uh, you know, all of these notifications. So I'm ignoring the phone because I know that I don't want to look at, you know, good or bad, what might, you know, what everybody was talking about. But uh, it was incredible. I've never seen, uh, you know, I've tuned into a few uh, perfect games at the end, but I've never watched something from uh, from strike one to, uh, you know, 27 Plus, you know, the, 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 you know, final out, that was incredible to watch. It was a really fun experience. Jimmy, how about you? So this was just awesome timing. So I actually was off work yesterday. I was one person that was off work, work yesterday. So I got to see the game from beginning to end, uh, sitting down on the couch, watching the whole thing. Um, it got to about the, uh, I think it was the sixth inning. And just randomly, I just checked on the app while I was watching the game on TV. And I was like, why does it say perfect game? <laughs> it's not a perfect game. And it, it in fact wasn't because by that time, uh, Severino had already dropped the ball. Uh, but the MLB app still said perfect game. Um, <clears throat> but then all of a sudden I realized that there were no hits. There were no runs. There were no errors. It was in fact a no hitter at least. And I was psyched throughout the entire game. Um, I tune into John Means game specifically because uh, John Means is a solid bet for uh, five and a half strikeouts every single game that he's pitched this season. So I uh, I tune in and uh, kind of eye that up uh, every single time that he pitches. And it was just it was a great game to watch. Um, and it was nice that they had the A team on the on the uh, broadcast too. 
All right. We'll get to the broadcast later because we do have Jeff Arnold's going to join us to tell us about kind of his experience calling the game yesterday, which is going to be a lot of fun. So make sure you tune in for later in the show when we get Jeff on. Um, I mentioned yesterday on the show that there were my brother and dad and I, we text each other all the time. And the text for yesterday's game, normally it's like words and what's going on in the game and frustrations. But yesterday's thread started with a pair of eyeballs being sent from Matt. And then I don't, me sending an emoji back about an inning later. And then just at the end of the game, a wow from my dad. And that was it. Because my family, when it comes to sports, is very superstitious. And normally that leans on the Ravens side because they're winning and in these tight games. But it creeps over into the baseball world as well sometimes. Andrew, are you superstitious while this is going on? Not even a little bit. Um, <laughs> it, it's funny. I, you mentioned the eyeballs text that you got. I, I listened to a, an interview that our, our I'll just say, our f- friend of the show, Glenn Clark, on Glenn Clark Radio, did an interview earlier today with Who Caroline Means. Glenn Clark? Right. I know. I know. I'm going to go there. But, but Caroline Means, John's wife, got the same exact text the eyeball emoji yeah and and because she was not watching from from the get-go of her husband watching her her husband pitching during yesterday's game either um she had kind of had to be clued in that something special was happening which i thought was funny it made me think of of the story that you told yesterday um but no i'm i'm not superstitious whatsoever it's funny i had actually my my wife was uh at work yesterday and i had texted her to, to say hey the Orioles have a no hitter going into, I think I texted her before the eighth or ninth inning in case she was, she wanted to tune in on her phone or listen on her phone uh, while at work. And she, she informed me today that she, she was able to eventually pull it up, but at first she had trouble remembering the login and the password for our account. And she didn't want to text me that, you know, to, to, to ask me about it because she was afraid that if she did, she would think that I was going to think there was some superstition being broken. Um, so there is always, always a lot of that around no hitters, obviously right. in perfect games, but I, I, it doesn't bother me whatsoever. I'll say no hitter during a no hitter. I does all of that stuff. None of it bothers. If, me. if Matt texted me and asked me the password to my MLB account, and then right after I give it to him, the no hitter falls apart. It's 100% Matt's fault. Yeah, and, you're, and you probably murder him at that point. So Right. Uh, and, but part of it was neat watching that even John Means didn't seem sucked into the superstitions where he was still talking to people on the bench and high-fiving people. Cody, did you get sucked into any of that? You're muted. <laughs> I'm, you have, I'm having a heck of a day today. Uh, it, just because it's so dramatic when you know you think back to some of the movies that have kind of you know, done with, with, uh, with perfect games or, or no hitters. And, you know, that's kind of the, you know, or even in the past, you know, you, you've seen guys that everybody is at the total opposite side of the field or the, the bench, nobody in the dugout is near the pitcher, you know, he's there kind of in the zone. Um, but that, yeah, that wasn't the scene in, in Seattle. Uh, that didn't seem to be, um, you know, John Means's mood. I'm not sure if you guys have seen the movie, the Kevin Costner movie where he throws a, a perfect game. For the love uh, of the game. Okay. Sure. There's That's it's top it's, baseball movie out there. It, it's, it's, it's a fun movie, at least, you know, from the baseball perspective. And I kept calling back to it because there's a scene where every time he's getting ready to pitch, he has this little phrase he goes to in his mind, clear the mechanism. 
And I just wondered at what point in time did John Means get up there and feel like, okay, it's, it's happening. I'm, I'm in the moment. It didn't, it, you couldn't see it, but surely there was a time, uh, be it the eighth inning or the ninth inning when he started to, to feel it and realize it. Yeah. I was who, I don't remember who pitched the, uh, no hitter earlier this season and in between every inning through like the first three innings, he was chugging a water bottle while on the bench. And then he continued and then he realized, Oh, I need to keep doing this because it's working. And all of us, and then all of a sudden he realized he's out there in the ninth inning. He's been, he's drank eight bottles of water, drank nine bottles of water by then he needs to go to the bathroom, but he can't go to the bathroom because that'll screw up the whole thing. So, and that was a major league pitcher just earlier this month, Jimmy, you've clearly got sucked into all this superstition, right? Oh, absolutely. Say so we don't uh, we don't say no hitter. Um, as a matter of fact, say when I saw that Seattle uh, Seattle around the eighth or ninth inning said uh, we're not superstitious, but no hitter, no hitter, no hitter, no hitter on Twitter uh, yesterday. Um, and then they went ahead and of course retweeted that and said, well, it didn't work. Good job, John Means, or something of that sort. Um, but I am incredibly superstitious about this. You don't say the words no hitter. You don't mention uh, perfect game for sure. Um, honestly, it, it's a rarity, but I was staying off of Twitter and, uh, I was just trying to stay off of social media, stay away from anything that could have been a curse for it. Um, my mother was, is a huge baseball fan and she's the one that got me sucked into, uh, sucked into baseball and sucked into the Orioles. And I was dying to text her or to call her, but I knew better and I couldn't do it <laughs> until the last out was made. And as a matter of fact, when I called her, uh, she was on a delay so she wouldn't pick up the phone until she saw the last out herself. So my father texted me after uh, they sent me the voicemail and said, okay, now you can call. So we are yeah, a very superstitious bunch. Yeah, I get it. That's how you were raised. That's how we were raised. Uh, early on in Section 336, Matt and I made a video about how it was our fault the four years before the Ravens made it to the Super Bowl because <laughs> we screwed up during the playoffs. Um, where does this game rank in like the great Oriole games that we've seen this, this was the first no hitter. All right. 91. There was the, there was the team no hitter, but since 1969, Jim Palmer, <laughs> all of us are young enough that we were not alive then. Um, many, um, many Oriole, current Oriole fans were not alive in 1991. So, yeah. which is hard to believe for a guy like me, but I get it. Um, I guess many of the Oriole players were not alive in 1991. So this is a once-in-a-lifetime thing. Where does this game rank in other great games that we've seen in our lifetime? Cody, how do you rank this compared to some of the great games, playoff baseball we've seen in Baltimore? I, I, I'm a horrible person to ask, and, and maybe this is a unique perspective because I, I didn't grow up a big baseball fan. I definitely didn't grow up an Orioles fan. So I, I've only been really uh, a, a fan of the game for the past seven, eight years. So this to me was, was my first experience, my first kind of, you know, my team doing something great. I've never seen the Orioles go to the playoffs uh, other than kind of the, the one um, you know, play in game. But um, you know, this was, this was, you know, at the top, this was so much fun to watch, you know, the, that last ninth inning, um, it, it felt to me uh, like a playoff game. I've never seen the Orioles in a playoff game, so this was it. This is the peak. 
Gotcha. Uh, for me, the takeaway, what I lost a little of this game was that it was in Seattle and not a game that we could attend. If this was a game two years ago with a packed Camden Yards, now for one, it's May, so Camden Yards would not have been packed, but still a nice fan base. It would have ranked a lot higher. Uh, if I was there, Muna, it might have jumped up in our, near the top. Andrew, how about you? I mean, it's interesting. If you're talking about games, like the quality of the game or or how well the game went for the Orioles, this one really does stand out. I think everyone would remember the game, the the, the playoff game against Detroit, where Dellen Young hit the the bases clearing double. Is obviously that obviously stands out. Um, but you know, it, that's obviously a playoff game. There's there's a lot more significance than a than a Wednesday afternoon in May um, to to a to a to a game in October. Um, you, you know, you could go back and talk about memorable games, maybe not great games, but like if you're talking about memorable games, it was memorable the game that Cal Ripken reached 21-31, especially because he homered during the game and all eyes were, you know, all eyes not only of the country but of, of much of the world were on Baltimore that night, which was a really big deal. Um, there are other moments and and there are other games that are memorable. You think back to uh, the Sunday in Boston where Chris Davis pitched uh, that, that went to extra innings. That was a memorable game. There's there's a, there was another game in Seattle a couple of years back that went uh, until almost five in the morning because it was an extra inning game on the West Coast. Right. Um, you know that that it seemed like all of Baltimore was awake for, despite the fact that it was, you know, in the middle of the night into the early morning hours that that game was going on. That was a memorable game. Um, but just from the sense that it was a memorable game, it wasn't a great game uh, like this was from John Means. Yeah. And the other game I'd throw out there would be the, I think it was 2012 uh, Cal Ripken statue unveiling game against the New York Yankees, because that was kind of a full stadium. The Orioles came back in that game and it was kind of the game that made us realize, wait, this team is good and this team has a chance. And this is what it's like to cheer for a winning team. Uh, Jimmy, this is the best individual performance we've seen by an Oriole, right? It's definitely the best individual performance that, uh, that I've seen. Um, anything that would have happened before, uh, before 1981, I can't speak to, but it's definitely the best that I've seen. Um, as far as the game itself, it definitely ranks in their top five for me. Uh, you know, without pulling all five of them together, I definitely say 21-31. I definitely say clinchmas. Um, of course, the Delman double game. And I'm sure there's one that I'm forgetting. So that's why I say top five. Uh, but yeah, I mean, this this game just had all the feels and the game itself was just a fantastic game. What I loved about this game the most, though, was that John Means was on and he, not only was he on, but that strike zone was getting squeezed and maybe it was getting squeezed both ways, but that strike zone was getting squeezed and Means just found a way to get it done. And I mentioned this last night when we uh, when we recorded for Bleacher Birds uh, <clears throat> that just we'll keep this PC, the moxie of John means to go ahead and throw the breaking balls and the curve balls that he threw on a three, two count. Um, it, it just, it took a lot and it was just, it was amazing to watch him. So definitely top five. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about this team as a whole this year, because you can go the negative side of the Orioles are in last place of the AL East, but I'm <laughs> going to lean more towards on the positive side that they are 15 and 16, one game away from 500 three and a half games back in AL East. Not that that really matters in May. And they went through a schedule in April that was one of the toughest schedules in baseball. So, Andrew, what's your big 
big picture takeaway of this team after 31 games? I mean, honestly, big picture right now, it's it's just enjoy it while it lasts. I mean, I know that sounds kind of negative on on the surface, but in in a baseball season, you know, we've been at this for a little over a month now. You have to take moments like the John Means no hitter or like the, you know, the uh, Anthony Santander throwing a guy out at the plate to end a game in New York. You have to take those kinds of moments throughout a season and let them sustain you because you don't know when the the you know when it's going to fall off the table when when the bottom will fall out from this team that everyone obviously expects to lose a hundred games and right. things to to go so poorly. So I, I'm taking the the positivity that that you're talking about of a team that is one game under 500 and playing above its head for for right now. And embracing those moments and trying to enjoy them. And, you know, it's it's also it's it's moments like the John Means no hitter that will sustain us when and I'll say if in August and September things are really looking underwater and, and things are really difficult. But we still have things to look forward to on the horizon, like minor league players doing well right. and maybe some prospects being called up and performing well. We'll also still have the, those moments that I mentioned to kind of sustain us going forward. Right, right. Sure. Um, Jimmy, is that kind of your takeaway too, that these moments are good enough? And then we'll just see what else happens this year? Yeah, I mean, the, this year it's it's all about just seeing how the young guys develop. <clears throat> um, wins and losses don't matter. Individual performances, um, probably the exception being uh, kind of what we saw yesterday. Um, but just seeing these guys develop and seeing each individual go ahead and develop um, more so than the team. And, you know, I, I, I got to mention it now because I'm worried that I won't mention it later. Say uh, Adley's got a home run already and Gunnar Henderson has two home runs already. So you want to talk, uh, Andrew wants to talk about minor league baseball being fun. Uh, as soon as we get done with this, I'm going to go ahead and subscribe to that minor league baseball program so that I can go ahead and watch those games. Yeah, MILB.TV. It's 40 bucks for the year, and you can stream all the games on your computer or your phone. So not a bad uh, package. Cody, yesterday, before it became the John Means show, in preparing for Birdland tonight, I was going to focus on the run differential because that always seems to be something that struggles with the Orioles, and it shows like just these blowout losses that we're adding up. So the Orioles currently are a minus six run differential. But when I was looking this afternoon at other teams, the Detroit, the Detroit Tigers are minus 68 in run differential. And the Detroit Tigers are supposed to be ahead of the Orioles in the rebuild. So what's your takeaway with this team? I mean, who are you comfortable with this team and who's a placeholder? Well, you know, I, I think there's several guys in the uh, in the rotation and the bullpen that uh, that that are that are long term guys. I think that there's a chance that uh, you know most of the outfield uh, is are, are long term guys. Uh, first base is covered, so we know that second base is a problem. We've talked about that. We know that Freddie Galvis and, and Michael Franco are um, are mercenaries. We're probably gonna you know try to sell them you know at the trade deadline. But, you know, I, I don't think that uh, – I think that that makes us just like every Major League Baseball team. You know, the, the big difference is, is that, you know, we didn't go out and spend a lot of money on these mercenary-type players. 
uh, I, I have a different view. Uh, call you know, and maybe it's just riding high off of the uh, off of yesterday and John Means, but I think that we're close enough. I think that we can start talking about you know the rebuild is over, and we're ready to compete. Uh, yeah, yeah. When you look at um, at the run differential, I just kind of did some quick math. It looks like we're only averaging as far as runs scored against us, just barely over four runs. You know, that's competitive. Uh, you know, if, if, if you're only giving up four runs a game, um, you know, now again, I think that we're averaging probably about five, but, uh, we're in it. Uh, it's close. And that's been, we've seen that because we've lost a lot of one and two game, uh, one, one run and two run games. Um, but we've won a lot of those as well. Something that we didn't see the team do in 2018, 2019. Sure. And I guess that's kind of where I kind of want to steer this is. When we're seeing young guys like Austin Hayes and Cedric Mullins kind of set their, I mean, we might get 21-31 Utah Street for a long time if we're lucky with those two guys out there. And we've got guys like Ryan Mountcastle coming along. And we've got a pitching staff of John Means, Matt Harvey, who's not part of the future here, Zimmerman with a question mark, um, Kramer, which has moments, to get excited about and Lopez that we're not real sure about. Is this the, is this the start of the upswing of the rebuild? Um, Andrew, how do you see this in general as this, is this a fluke or is this the start to get excited for the rebuild? I think it's, it's been a month and, and this team is playing. Okay. It's playing better than it, than it was expected to. Um, I think, saying that the rebuild is over is a little premature. I still think that this team is a couple of years away from being being a consistent contender. Now that doesn't mean that they c- couldn't pop up and, you know, especially with expanded playoffs and and five team and two wild card spots and th- those kinds of things that we've seen, it doesn't mean that that they couldn't pop up and challenge for something like that um in in what would be a big surprise still. But I still think that they are at least two years away from being in any kind of position to be consistently a competitive team Um, and probably even maybe three or four years away from challenging to actually do something once they they take that kind of mantra of being a, you know, just a club that that is expected to be competitive. Sure. Jimmy, if Dan Duquette was still our GM. We know how Dan Duquette would manage this situation. He would go out and put all your fires into this season because you got to strike while the iron's hot. Um, we don't get the inclination from Mike Elias that he's that type of guy, that he's a wait, wait, wait type of guy. Um, are you concerned that as fans, we get sucked into this team and in uh, a month, John Means will be traded and Trey Mancini will be traded and we're we're going to hit that 105 losses. Well, I mean, if you're asking me if I'm worried about whether or not those two are traded, no, I'm not worried about those two being traded because I don't think it's going to happen. Um, <clears throat> I think Trey's going to go ahead and get an extension at some point in time this year. Um, whether or not that's a smart move to make or not, I think that's going to happen. And we've still got John Means for three years. So it's not necessarily like we're going to go ahead and trade him away for, you know, for nothing or even for prospects with three years of control left. We're supposed to be contenders. And what, what's our date? 2023 is what we keep on saying. 
Well, that's so my thing. Major going- League Baseball is saying 2027. There's a big difference between what I think <laughs> and what Major League Baseball thinks. Yeah, well, nobody expects nobody expected the Orioles to go ahead and make the playoffs when they did, um, you know, a few years back either. Right. So nobody was calling for that, and all of a sudden we appeared. So I, I'm with you. Say so I think 2023. I don't think either one of them are going anywhere soon. Um, will it tug at the Oriole fans' heartstrings if it happens? Absolutely. Um, I think Trey would just be a just absolute, uh, you know, just gut shot for Baltimore and. Um, you might see some upset people after that. I, you see upset people no matter what. You'll have upset people if you don't trade a, good, a guy playing well. Um, Cody, I'm going to skip you on this one and go to Andrew because you weren't a big Orioles fan at the time. But, Andrew, thinking back to that 2012 season where the Orioles came out of nowhere and suddenly were a good team, do you think the Orioles screwed up by deciding to go for it all then instead of letting prospects – grow into what they could be that they traded stuff away in order to try to win now mentality no because at the time the, the they didn't really have any prospects um like they do now the, the the farm system was was kind of barren at the time and when they popped up in 2012 and made the wild card game they were actually able to sustain that for four or five years beyond that and still be a competitive team heck at one point they were the winningest team in the American league, despite the fact that they were making the playoffs kind of every other year during that span. So no, they, 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 where they made the mistake through that run was not, not re-signing Manny Machado um, and, you know, letting his contract wind down and then ending up, ending up trading him uh, in the final year of his contract. Uh, That's where they made the big mistake. And then, you know, other ones, which include Chris Davis and that deal and, 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 things surrounding it but no they they didn't really have the the prospects that was more of a more of a hodgepodge that was a put put together by by dan duquette and and by andy mcphail prior to him um of of a team and this is more building it in what we think is the right way building up the farm system letting these guys come through develop um and and eventually get to the major leagues to sustain something for a even longer time hopefully than four or five years Sure. Cody, uh, where's Chris Davis? You're his number one fan. I think he might be here in Texas. Uh, I could have sworn I saw him when I was grocery shopping last week at Tom Thumb. Um, and he looked really good. He looked really good. So I'm, I am. Wait, hoping- is this serious? You really, do, you really think you saw him? <laughs> okay. Uh, I was just <laughs> you had me for a second. <laughs> It was, it was hard me for to a tell second. with the mask. <laughs> uh, I don't. I don't know. Uh, I, I the whole thing is is upsetting to me. Um, I, I don't know what's going on there. I, I, are we going to see him again? I I don't think so. And you know what? It doesn't. At this point, it doesn't even matter because I like that Andrew bought into you checking out Chris <laughs> Davis. Yeah, you new, had me new, for a new shopping cart stance. <laughs> so, all right. Uh, final question about this team is a month in, we're on pace that for this all-star game in Colorado, we're going to have legit all-stars, not just um, Ty Wickenton and guys that are gifted there because every team's supposed to uh, be represented. Jimmy, who's your all-stars? Um, right now it's gotta be John Means and Cedric Mullins. Uh, I want to say Austin Hayes, but it seems that there are so many outfielders out there that 
they always get overlooked. Yeah. I think uh, I think it's going to have to take Hayes getting a hot streak, but even if he does, I think he's going to be the one that gets overlooked uh, that deserves it but doesn't go. All right. Cody? How incredible would it be if Cesar Valdez and the Dead Fish were voted onto the All-Star <laughs> team? I mean, l- let's look at his performance. Uh, I mean, I-, I get that other teams think it's funny, but those other teams can't hit him. Does anybody think that he has a shot no. at an all-star invite? No. Zero. None at all? No. no. Ah, that's bowl, so disappointing. Bowl, bowl, during all-star games, starters go into the bullpen. I, can we start a campaign, an well, online campaign early to get sure. Valdez into the all-star game? The, is the anybody- only way that Valdez would have a chance is if the Orioles didn't have another candidate and they just needed a representative. Right. Now, but they, but but right. but fortunately for the Orioles, they have two, maybe three other candidates. I'll tell you, I think the other name that has been mentioned for the All Star game, and this is purely on feels and hopefully a player vote, would be Trey Mancini. Yeah. Now he would have to pick it up a little bit with the bat, but it would be cool to see. It would be really cool to see I, if Cedric Mullins continues the bat, if John Means obviously continues continues what he's doing. It would be cool to see Means, Mullins, and Mancini all go to the All Star game as representatives. I. I yeah, I think Mancini goes no matter what he does on the field. I think that becomes a player vote for it could the Eagles to get him in there. Uh, just like we were, just like him being declared comeback player of the year before spring training even starts. I mean, that story is well larger than Baltimore. Yep. And that's a, and you see him every time they visit a new city or play a new team, he's getting hugs at first base. And hugs at the plate. That he's going to be in the All Star game. As if he doesn't earn it, the fan vote he'll be there with the player vote. I think. Agreed. So, all right, guys. Well, uh, thanks for joining me. I think this is a good update for where the Orioles are right now. It's been a fun month. Let's hope it continues. We've got Birdland tonight starting up again Friday and stuff. We got a lot more Birdland tonight on your way, but we want to close it out with just before the show. I got to sit down and talk with Jeff Arnold, who's I've known Jeff for many years because he was the Frederick Keys broadcaster for years and did PR over at the Frederick Keys. So well known. Saw these guys, uh, a lot of these Orioles as they were young players going through single A ball and just in a really cool position to get to call the game yesterday. So I want to go and uh, welcome Jeff Arnold as our first guest for Birdland tonight. All right, lots of people are talking about John Means waiting his whole life to throw that no-hitter that we all got so excited about. But we want to go a different angle and talk to the broadcaster who waited his whole life to get to call a game like that. Jeff, how are you doing? You know what? I'm doing well, Josh. It was uh, quite a day and an impressive day. I think maybe even more so by the fact that, you know, we all know John Means' story, and it's a, a really cool one, a guy that, Know, was drafted in a round that doesn't exist anymore, had to change high schools to make a varsity team, went to junior college, went to West Virginia. Not a not a guy that was on any top prospects list when he was coming up and uh, just kind of worked his butt off and eventually got a chance, and um, he's made the most of his opportunity, and now he's one of the best pitchers in the American League. I mean, that's as good of a, good of a story and uh, makes, I think, yesterday – uh, even more special than what it was. Yeah, I mean, two years ago, the story was uh, this pitcher who was contemplating leaving baseball during the offseason and makes the All-Star game. Now he's 
uh, one of the top pitchers in baseball at the moment. So, yeah, it, the John Means story is, the, is an amazing story. But I, I want to talk about your story because you've been, you've been working this angle, working your way up through. If people don't know and they're just new to you on the radio, you started with the Orioles Radio Network last year. Uh, a tough year to start. and But you went through calling games for the Keys. I think the first time we met was you working for the Keys and doing like a media softball game calling and stuff. Mm-hmm. So at some point you've envisioned yourself one day calling a no-hitter, right? I mean, it's the uh, – it's, it's one of those situations where I had looked, you know, and hoped I was going to get a chance to – to be in the major leagues at some point, you just never know if you're going to get a chance. Right. So I think you're, to be honest with you, most of what I was thinking was, you know, it'd be nice to get to the major leagues. And then I didn't really think about anything after that. I never thought about, well, what would it be like to call a no hitter in the major leagues? You know, what would it be like to call a game on television in the major leagues, which I got to do last year. I'm going to get to do some again this year, which is, uh, which is really cool. Um, You know, it's, it's cool to know, you know, whose seat you're sitting in that used to, used to be with the team, number of whom are in the Hall of Fame and, uh, you know, a couple of whom will probably be in the Hall of Fame at some point. So y- you think about it and you're just like, man, this is really cool. I'm just really fortunate to be here. And to be honest with you, um, it was just me thinking more or less about trying to get there as opposed to what am I going to do when I get there? It's just getting there. That was what I think a lot of it was about. I had called a no-hitter in the minor leagues, but that was – in Lynchburg, Virginia, in front of like 15 people. It was like the second game right. of a doubleheader. And it was a made-up game after a rainout the night before. And it was really cool. There was really nobody there. But, you know, you, you saw what was going on, and uh, you brought your own energy, and, and that made it cool. But, you know, it's, uh, it's a very different thing when the no-hitter you're calling is arguably the, the best-pitched game in Orioles history. Um, it was almost a perfect game. Retired right. all 27 that he faced. So it's definitely a little bit different uh, when you're in the spot that, that I was in yesterday. But, uh, man, yeah. it was cool, and um, and I'm, I'm excited that it happened. Yeah, I didn't hear that replay of the minor league no-hitter on Baseball Tonight and Sports Center and everywhere else. <laughs> I, think, uh, I think you got a little bit more attention for your call for this game. Uh, <laughs> last year and this year, you've been in a weird space with calling games because you're not traveling with the team. This was a road game on the West Coast. What's mm-hmm. your setup like at the stadium that you're for broadcasting? You're just watching the television and broadcasting from that, right? Well, we've got a program feed, so it's what you would see at home. And then I've got a, a bank of monitors that you wouldn't see. And that's like a All separate right. screen with – so, it kind of depends on where we go. Like, right. It's not uniform. Like in the NFL – what their radio broadcasters had when they did travel, when they didn't travel, uh, it was uniform for them. For the major league, for major league baseball, it's not uniform. So, for instance, we might go to one place and have like eleven different camera angles. Like that's what we had when we were in Texas. And then Seattle did a really good job. Actually, their production team did a did a nice job. And we had maybe you know our typical looks. You know, we had the all nine. We had the um, we had all kinds of different you know angles. And then you'll be some places where they'll do a really good job of producing the shows. Like we've been pretty fortunate. The, the last two series I've done, um, you know, the, where the Marlins and the, the Mariners and they both did a really good job at their shows. So 
So they, they handled it really well and the effects were good and the looks were good and the, the all, you know, all the monitors, you know, the, we, it was, it was well done. They, they, their crews did good jobs, but, um, but you're going to go some places where they're not going to be so good and they're, they're going to be hiccups and problems. And, uh, there was one place we went this year where there was uh, there was one situation where um, it, there was a problem and, and I, I was just like, uh Oh, like, and it, and we realized it was a problem when the game started. So that was a little bit of navigation that I wasn't expecting to have to do. Sure. And, and that's just, that's just what doing monitor baseball is no matter how many games that you do off of a monitor and no matter how good the technology gets, it will never ever ever beat being there. It will never ever ever beat being there. It, it, the technology you can get as good as it wants to get. It just, it won't, it won't make a difference. Of course. But the good, the good news yesterday is that the Seattle crew did a really good job. Our in-house, and crew cutting the world feed, which is a very hard thing to do as well, did a really nice job. And fortunately, uh, it was a lot of clean plays. And it was also nice when uh, he strikes out 12 guys. Yeah, so the camera's always there for out. those. Sure. Yeah, um, so you're, you were really fortunate that, that it, was a, it, was pretty, it was a pretty clean game. Yeah, I, env- I envision it that you're basically like you are as a little kid when you turn the volume down on the TV and you're pretending that you call the games and broadcast the games. That's how I envision broadcasts going this year. Um, how do you how do you get your keep your energy up? Because it's a no hitter. You know, if the stadium mm-hmm. was packed with a crowd, the crowd was going to be going crazy, and you really seem to bring that energy into your call last night. No, I appreciate you saying that. And the way that I do it is that they, they we get effects, and so we're hearing all the TV effects and every everything, so we get good audio in that standpoint. We have a really good producer engineer, Kevin Reed, Big Daddy does a, a great job of of getting it all set up for us and making sure it sounds good and that we can hear what we need to hear to bring the energy in the right spot. The other thing I do, and this is a little inside broadcasting a little bit, is I actually have him turn my headset volume down, and so that forces me to get over top of the TV effects and bring a little bit more energy. Um, I do the same thing when we do home games. I don't get a whole lot of audio in my ears because I want to make sure that I'm bringing enough energy where – I'm not I'm not getting under getting under the crowd noise because then you just kind of mix in and it doesn't sound good and it doesn't pop as much. But what I do is just you know number one yesterday was easy because this is one of the best pitch games in Orioles history and we had a sense in about the fourth inning that something cool might happen. Yeah, we didn't know exactly what was going to happen. We didn't know exactly right. what was going to happen, but we had a sense that something cool might happen. And that was my and, question and, for you was when you knew because your tone changed around then. And you could pick yeah. up on the broadcast that, wait, I was driving in the car, and I was like, something's different about this game. It is. And I felt like around the fourth inning, we knew something cool might happen, and then it started to build and build. And Mullins had that sliding catch. And then you know, Brett has the seventh inning, and then I go on in the eighth. And I was really happy with you know, I just I went back and listened earlier. I, I felt good about how the eighth inning went because there was that ball hit by Lewis, which felt like it would have been out of Camden Yards, and it was it was a do or die moment. You have at least one of them when you're going to have a no hitter, or a perfect game, or sometimes multiple moments. And he made the catch, and and so I just tried to gradually build it up to the point where you know you're on the edge of your seats, and then we get to the ninth inning, and you're hopeful it's going to be clean and. You know, we, we had uh, the moment that we were hoping for at the very end. Yeah, and I loved your call at the end of the eighth inning saying, post on Twitter, call your friends, go to Instagram, because that's what we were all doing. But, exactly. But my text messages that went out at that moment 
we're really just um, some eyeballs and some emojis and not saying there's a no-hitter going on. Because mm-hmm. there's so many superstitions with fans. You rolled straight into it. Call everyone and tell them there's a no-hitter oh, yeah. about to happen. So I'm guessing you weren't too worried about any superstitions at that point. Josh, let me put it to you this way. If I had the ability to alter a no-hitter, do you think that I would probably uh, use my powers on that? I would probably use my powers to get myself a billion dollars and be on an island somewhere. Of course. So I have nothing to, you know, to me – I think the whole no hitter thing is silly, and I think yesterday was just kind of like proof of that. It's just I think it's kind of silly. Now, if you ask Ben McDonald, it's a little different. He's been a player. He's he's been in the right. dugout when those things are going on. He was there for the for the combined one in '91. Yeah. But for me, you got to tell people because so much of like doing broadcasting and especially in radio is building urgency. So why are we watching this or listening to this? And you want to make sure you're giving people a reason as to um, this is why you should stay, and this is why you should be tuning in. And it's really important to build that, and you can do it with a ton of your voice, but when it comes to something like a no-hitter, you want to make sure you're hitting it. Because uh, I'll tell you this story. I was talking to Dave Sims, who does the Mariners, and, and this randomly came up when we were, we were talking on Monday. And he told me the story of how Tim McCarver called him, and Dave Sims has called a no-hitter in a perfect game. He's called the last perfect game, actually, which was by Felix Hernandez. Right. And, I think so McCarver calls him and he starts going into like Dave Sims doing like the no hitter thing and him mentioning a no hitter and and Dave was just like oh man here we go here's another former player that doesn't like this blah 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 and McCarver said I'm glad you told me because if you didn't tell me then I wouldn't have tuned the game on when I did and I wouldn't have stuck around as long as I did I wanted to see the rest of the game but if you don't tell people they're not going to do that then they're going to miss it and it's not the same going back and hearing it after the fact so you're trying to build urgency. You're trying to bring people into the tent, under the tent, and you're trying to keep them there. And to me, in order to do that, you should just say what's going on. And if you look at what Vin Scully would talk, talk about it, and he's, he's mentioned it before, he's calling it a no-hitter. I've heard other players who are broadcasters call it a no-hitter because it's what their job is and that's what they got to do. And so that's the side that I lean towards. Um, other people might look at it differently, but – you know, I'm just trying to make sure that we keep our audience and are bringing more people in because everybody should have been there to see what John Means did yesterday. Uh, of course. And I, and I like that you did that because even me as a diehard baseball fan watching every moment of Oriole games, it took me until about the sixth inning to realize what was going on. I just thought it was a great game and things going really well. And then I realized, oh, look at those zeros. So, mm-hmm. all right. Uh, yep. All right, real quick, thanks for uh, giving me a little bit of time. And real quick before you go, I wanted to know about did you plan out your call? Because around that no. seventh, eighth in, and you started to know, oh, I'm going to have to say something in the, at the end of the game. Absolutely not. Um, I have always gone by the credo that if something big is going to happen, the best reaction that I'm ever going to have is just something that I – something that's organic and natural, and I feel it as I'm saying it. Um, and you just pray that you get the right words at the right time. And, um, you know, what people think of the call, that's kind of, kind of their, that's up for them to decide. Um, but for me, um, I always trust them to have the right words at the right time. I've never done anything written out before. It's just, it's what comes out. And, uh, I'm, I'm glad that I did it that way yesterday. So I'm going to keep doing it. And, uh, you just pray that uh, you get the right words at the, at the right time. And, um, and that'll produce the, hopefully the, 
the goosebump moments and uh, the moments that you don't forget. And uh, I certainly never forget yesterday. <laughs> of course not. All right, Jeff. Well, congratulations on the great call yesterday. You really embodied the Oriole fans and what we were all feeling uh, for a game that was just such a surprise coming in as a day game getaway game. Uh, so I love that your call, love that it was really what the fans felt. Um, everyone knows who you are. Everyone f- listens to Jeff Arnold on the Orioles Radio Network. Follow Jeff at Jeff on the Air over on Twitter. And Jeff, uh, you're great. Thanks for uh, all the support you've done for Section 336 and everything over the years. You got it, buddy. We'll talk to you soon. All right. That was the great Jeff Arnold from the Orioles Radio Network really appreciate us giving him some time, giving us some of his time. There's the right words, because you know how it goes. He's his call has been on Sports Center and the Baseball Tonight, Baseball Tonight podcast. It's been everywhere, which means he has also been all over the place today doing some interviews. So make sure you're following Jeff on Twitter, Jeff on the air, and stay tuned to Birdland tonight. Follow at Birdland Sports on all your social media and subscribe to the Birdland Tonight podcast. Give it five stars. Write a review over in Apple Podcasts. That helps people find the show. It helps Birdland Tonight jump up so that when people search Orioles, they find Birdland Tonight. We'll see you guys tomorrow night after the Friday night Orioles game as they come back home for the weekend. See you then. Nice buns, soft, fluffy, and ultra low net carbs. Discover Hero Bread, the delicious ultra low net carb bread with incredible taste and texture. Hero Bread has zero grams of sugar and is under 100 calories per serving, plus high in fiber with 5 to 10 grams of protein per serving. Order from hero.co now and get 10% off your first purchase with promo code AH10. That's 10% off with code AH10. H E R O.co.